All right, welcome everyone to the continuation of a series that I'm calling The Story of Your Life, and I'll explain what that means in a moment. But if you have a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, and I want to remind you of some things that are coming up, particularly uh, today and this week. Uh, this afternoon at 2.30 is our quarterly family meeting. That's what we call our congregational meeting, sometimes called business meeting. Those normally go about uh, an hour. So if you are a member of our church, uh, then you are invited and even encouraged to come to that. We've got a few proposals to make to the church family for your approval and then just some informational items. So that's this afternoon at 2.30. Tonight at 6.30 is the introduction to our women's ministry. So ladies, we encourage you to come to that. And then this weekend is the Living Last Supper presentation. And that's why this large stage has been erected. And this Saturday night at 6 and Sunday night at 6, both nights, uh, we're going to have that presentation. It's been a ton of work put into not only building that stage, but also costumes. We've had a group of ladies work feverishly on making costumes. Uh, they have been here every day for several weeks, a team of them called the CBC Sewing Guild. And uh, they're, they've done a great job with that. And then the folks who are going to be playing the roles of the 13 individuals at the Last Supper, they've all been working very hard on their lines. And so it should be a, should be a, a, a moving and, uh, and uh, profound presentation. And many, uh, a number of folks that I know have seen it. And uh, they all tell me that it has had an effect upon them and it is well worth your time, not only your time, but to invite someone to come because it does have an evangelistic bent to it. So if you can invite someone to come, please do that. And uh, if you're a member of our church, we uh, sent you an email with an RSVP button on it for you to indicate how many are coming each night so that we have an idea for, for seating in here. And if you don't have uh, access to our email list, if you're not on that, then you can uh, let the folks at the information center know before you leave, and uh, we can get you the information about how to tell us how many people that you are, you are bringing. But we look forward to that and pray about that, that all would go as, as planned for it. All right. We have been for the last few weeks in a series called The Story of Your Life, and I'll explain uh, give some review and explain what that title means in a, in a moment. But we will start a new series on April the 12th, the week after Easter. That new series will be for seven weeks called Why You Can Trust the Bible, Why You Can Trust the Bible. And that's a series that you might consider, and I would encourage you to consider, inviting a, a friend, a co-worker, because it will give information about the Bible, its origin, its transmission, its uniqueness, that uh, will answer questions that many skeptics have about the Bible. So that is designed to be uh, hopefully helpful to our own people, but helpful to those who have questions about the Bible and where it came from and why we adhere to it as we do. So that will start April the 12th, Why You Can Trust the Bible. In the meantime, we are in this series called uh, The Story of Your Life, and I call it that for this reason. Uh, by way of review, we have seen over the last few weeks that each of us is a composite of two major categories. Uh, the first category is what we are by nature. And what we are by nature has two subdivisions to it. We are by nature, the Bible says, Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made. Genesis chapter 1, we are made in the image of God. So we alone as humanity among God's creatures were made to reflect God back to God. 
So who we are by nature is marvelous on the one hand, fearfully, wonderfully made, made in the image of God, with the capacity to think God's thoughts after him, to talk like God would talk, to act like God would act. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. And humanity, all of us, are that. So that's one side of our nature. We are, we are in the image of God and fearfully and wonderfully made. But there's another side to that, unfortunately, and that is that we are by nature sinful. And we've seen in, uh, a few weeks ago that the effect of sin is to draw us inward to ourselves rather than outward toward God and others. So the separation that is the death caused by sin causes us then to, rather than be vertically oriented, to be horizontally oriented toward this life and toward, uh, and toward our particular circumstances, and in particular to be focused upon ourselves, self-centered rather than God-centered. Now I say the death that resulted from the sin. Uh, the word death, as we saw a few weeks ago, means in the Bible separation. And so when God says to Adam and Eve, you may not eat of this tree, and in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Uh, But they didn't die physically, as you know, but they were separated from God. They did die spiritually. And we all come into the world, the Bible teaches then, spiritually separated from God, or to put it another way, spiritually dead. We come into the world then focused upon ourselves rather than, than vertically oriented toward God and centered on Him. So what are we by nature? We are by nature marvelous, and we are by nature really messed up. That's what the Bible teaches. We are a combination, all of us, of those. Now, there's a second category that is the composite profile of who we all are, and that is what we are by by nurture. That we all not only come into this world with that as our nature, but we come into this world surrounded by people who have that same kind of self-centered nature. And their influence affects us. And our influence then affects others who are around us. And so the cycle continues of sinners affecting sinners and and influencing them in sinful ways. Each of us then has a unique story. Uh, If it were only only the issue of our nature made in the image of God, that's the same for all of us, of all humanity. But the Bible says that we are uniquely made, fearfully and wonderfully made, and that each of us has a different design, a design from God. Ephesians chapter 2, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. So we are his, as I've said, the Greek word workmanship, poiema, craftsmanship. God has made us who we are, and we have natural and now spirit-directed abilities if we are in Christ that he has given to each of us, and they're not all the same. And so we're all the same in terms of the image of God, but we are all different in terms of his unique design of of us. Now, because we are then marvelous but also messed up, here's what I've said that means. That we will use those good things that God has given to us, those gifts and abilities, rather than for God's ends, we'll use them for our own ends. So I have the ability, God, by God's grace, the ability to do a number of things. I have the ability to do some things you don't. You have the ability to do some things I don't because we're made and designed by God differently. But all designed to use those in a Godward direction. But sin causes me to use them in a Kenward direction. 
And so I have said that sin, one way to think of sin, is using the power that God has given us, the power, the ability, the, the, the giftedness, the power that God has given us to get what we want. That's one way for you to think of it. Sin is you using the power that God gave you, not for God, but for you, and to get what you want. And another way to think of sin is your reaction when your power fails to get what you want. Then you refuse to use your gifts and abilities for God. You pout about it. You're depressed about it. You're despondent about it. And that's the situation that so many people find themselves in. Because we are this composite, this contradiction of on the one hand, by nature we are marvelously made, but by sin we are messed up, and then we are by nurture influenced by others, and we have unique abilities, we express then our messed up sinfulness in different ways, unique ways. And each of us then has power, abilities, gifts at our disposal that we use for ourselves rather than for God. So I gave an illustration last week of that in my own life, that one of the abilities that God has given me is to talk, and it comes in handy if you're a pastor. So it can be used for good ends. But can you think about ways that it can be used for bad ends? Now, thankfully, I've never used it for bad ends, but it could, but it could potentially be used for that. Nobody laughed at that. I, of course I... <laughs> you guys were ready to believe that, that I've never used it for my own ends. And in fact, that's one of the ways that my sin, my unique expression of sin, manifests itself. Is to use this good thing that God has given me, but to use it for Ken rather than for God. And I had then have to recognize that if I'm going to become like Jesus. I need to see that as the story of my life. I need to see that as what I am uniquely before God and therefore the unique, distinctive ways that I am tempted to sin before God. And you need to do the same thing. Now, there are obstacles to you doing that. There are obstacles to me doing that. There are reasons that so many of us refuse to look at ourselves in the mirror and see ourselves as we truly are and be willing to own it and say, that's the way I am, that's the struggle I have, and that's how it's affected other people. And one of those obstacles is a lack of security in who we are. A lack of security in who we are. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5 today, but we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 last week on this issue of the insecurity that keeps us from being willing to view ourselves accurately and as we truly are and then own it and deal with it. Now, what is that insecurity? It is that rather than finding my identity in Christ, I try to build my identity comparing and contrasting to others. Rather than building my identity my identity, seeing my identity in Christ, I try to build my identity, create my identity, comparing and contrasting myself to other people. And in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul deals with that very mindset, that very idea. That the worldly-oriented Corinthians, who are looking at things not from a God perspective, but from a worldly cultural perspective, who in the opening chapters he takes to tasks for the divisions that exist among them as the body of Christ, 
And part of those divisions are they are elevating people and they're saying, Peter is my guy, or Apollos is my guy, or Paul is my guy, or the really spiritual group says, we're of the Christ group. And so they have these factions because they are all finding their identity in their, in their uh, camaraderie, in their allegiance to someone other than, other than God. And so they're building their identity rather than acquiring their identity from, from Christ. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, I won't play that game. In fact, in verse 3, he says this, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. In fact, he goes on to say, I do not even judge myself, but that does not make me innocent. And we saw last week that the word translated innocent is the same word used in Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5, Galatians. It's the word for justification. You could translate that. Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. In fact, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me justified. Even my own view of myself is not what justifies me. What justifies me is Christ and what He has done. And so I don't look to you, and I don't look to me. I look to Jesus, says Paul. Now that's contrary to the advice that most of us receive. You know, if we are being, if we are being oppressed, if we are being harmed in what people say about us, in our relationships with others. We go to a friend or a counselor and we say, this is what this person does, this is what this person says about me. And what would the advice be? The advice is very often, who cares what they say? What really matters is what you say about you. And Paul says, nope, it's not that I care what you say about me, and it's not that I care even what I say about me. What I care about is what Christ says about me. And when I find my identity in Him then, now I can have the security to look at myself as I truly am. Because I'm not in competition with you. I'm not comparing and contrasting myself with other people. I can now actually see myself as I truly am because the verdict has been rendered. And I quoted for you last week uh, Tim Keller, who says it's only in Christianity that you get the verdict before the performance. The verdict, the justification, just as if I'd never sinned, is already in. And if I am secure in that, now I don't have to worry about the stupid stuff I do. Or the things that other people say about me. And I used it as the example last week. Last week I walked up here onto the platform and I said something mindless. And I could, I could ruminate about that for weeks. And I could beat myself up and say... How could you be such an idiot? But see, I already know the answer to that, because you are an idiot. <laughs> but it's important for me to be able to say that and say that honestly, because I know that about myself. And God is gradually giving me the ability to say that about myself and own that, and by His grace, then change it. So the first obstacle to us making these changes that are necessitated by the fact that we are this combination profile of nature, marvelous and messed up, but also nurture, what we have learned from our upbringing and those around us and acquired from them, 
One of the obstacles that keeps us from changing that is our insecurity. Rather than finding our security in Christ, we try to build our identity around comparing and contrasting to others. That's one. But today I want to deal with another one. Insecurity is one obstacle. But that's why I've asked you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the other obstacle is this, related to it, is that I still struggle against the old perspective, the old view of myself and of others. To put it another way, one of the obstacles to me owning it and changing it is that I don't see it clearly because I don't see myself and I don't see others clearly. Now, how does 2 Corinthians 5 relate to that? Verse 15, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Now, let me stop there. Notice he says, those who live should no longer live for themselves. What's the assumption there? If we're to no longer live for ourselves, then what's the assumption? We've been living for ourselves. So, Paul is saying what I've said, that this is the way you come into it naturally. Self-centered, inward-focused, you're living for yourself, but he died so that those who live should no no longer do that, living for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, if that's God's objective in bringing Christ and the work of Christ, his death and his resurrection, that we would then be changed from this self-centered view and restored to a Godward approach to life, if that's the case, now he continues it in verse 16. So, therefore, because that's the goal, that we no longer live for ourselves, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, when he says we regard no one from a worldly point point of view, we no longer regard anyone, in fact, literally, Uh, according to the flesh. We no longer look at people, including ourselves, from a natural perspective, but rather we now look at ourselves and other people from a supernatural perspective. We look at ourselves and other people radically different. He says, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So there has to be a transformation of our perspective, our perspective on ourselves and other people, and then, of course, on Christ as well. And it's in that context, friends, that you find this famous verse in verse 17. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now notice what's new. What's new is our view. What's new is our perspective. What's new is the way we look at ourselves, other people, and at Christ. And so if anyone is in Christ, they are this new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. But one of the obstacles then for us to taking this kind of radically reoriented view is that we have not been transformed in our perspective. And we are not daily being renewed in that perspective, reminded of that perspective. So you've got one of two things going on. Either we're not saved. 
We're not Christians. We're churchgoers. We're church members. But we're not born again. Because if anyone is in Christ, he's new. And that includes this now new perspective. New perspective on myself. New perspective on other people. New perspective on Christ. So one very sobering possibility as to why I don't change and why you don't change is because you don't have spiritual life. You haven't been changed spiritually. Now, it's, it's a scary thing, uh, and I don't enjoy spending a lot of time on it because it's scary, but it's absolutely necessary. Friends, what good does it do for us to gather together and not be changed by Jesus? What good does it do for us to come together on the Lord's day and just go through the motions? So it is necessary for us to, in the words of the Apostle, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. And so I, I ask you, as I ask myself, consider, I know you're not where you need to be. I know I'm not where I need to be. I already know that answer. I know that this is a constant process of transformation. But are you different than you were? Are you different than you were last year? Five years ago? And my fear is the answer, if we're honest about that, for many of us, is no. There's no growth going on in our lives. There's no difference in my self-centered approach toward life my view of myself, other people, and Christ today than there was six months ago or last year or five years ago. Now, if that's the case to, for you, friend, then I suggest to you there's the absence of spiritual life. But the good news is that can be remedied. That can be remedied by you coming to Christ. That can be remedied by you placing your faith and your trust in who he is and what he did and he begins his change process in you. So that's one possibility. And I urge you to consider it if you have not changed. I would say one more thing about it. I'm asking you to do this self-evaluation. Have I changed? Am I different? Before we leave today, I'm going to suggest that you ask other people if you're different. You see, because we all have a higher view of ourselves than we really are. I mean, if you ask me how I'm doing, you know, I'm not perfect. I have to throw that in because, of course, you might have thought. I mean, think about the foolishness, really. Well, you know, I'm not perfect. I mean, I cringe every time somebody says that. Okay, thanks for that bulletin flash. Now that we got that out of the way, that you're not the God-man, you're not Jesus, you're not the sinless one. I'm glad we got that straightened out. You know, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. You got anybody else to vouch for that? Would your kids vouch for that? Would your spouse vouch for that? You're different today than you were a year ago? And here's the way or ways that I can see that. You got anybody. So you can evaluate yourself, and you should. And I can evaluate myself, and I should. But 
We've got people around us who know us better than we know ourselves. That's why Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Now notice it says, see to it, brothers. See to it, brothers, plural, that none of you does this. In other words, help each other with it. So ask, have the humility to ask the people around you about you. And I'll talk about that some more before we leave. So what am I, what am I, what am I like? And how do I know what I'm like? And one reason what I'm like today is not different than what it was a year ago or five years ago is because I may not have spiritual life. That's one. Two. Here's the other one. I may have spiritual life, but I may be in a, in a temporary, a temporary funk. I mean, look, if, if, if all the Christian life was was a trajectory upward then most of what you find in your New Testament would not be necessary. Because, because it's encouraging us to do the right thing. And it's often encouraging us to repent of the wrong thing and confess that we've sinned. So I'm not suggesting to you that if you have spiritual life now, it's just straight upward. If that were the case, much of your New Testament would be unnecessary. It's not straight upward. And sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. But over the course of the Christian walk, there is progress in the life of the believer. And a person can look back over time and say, I'm not what I need to be, but thank God I'm not what I, what I was. And that that's tangible. So either we don't have spiritual life or we, have been, we do have spiritual life, but we are in a malaise spiritually. The good news for both is they can both be remedied. And so ask yourself then if you want that. And then I want to encourage you to do these things. Know yourself. Know yourself. If you have this security in Christ that we talked about last week from 1 Corinthians 4, and you have this altered perspective that comes from the work of Christ in us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have those two things, now you're a person who is equipped to look at yourself. You can see yourself truly and accurately for what you are. And so I'm encouraging you then, know yourself. Evaluate yourself. Do a self-evaluation. If you have those two things in place, you have the security in Christ, you have the new perspective that Christ gives, you'll be able to do that. Now, what are you going to analyze, evaluate about yourself? You're going to analyze your natural tendencies. What are my natural, God-given tendencies that I use to get what I want? Now, I know some of those about myself. I've mentioned to you one of them. We could go on for weeks and just talk about me and how lousy I am. But I'd much rather talk about you and how lousy you are. But really, I can look at myself and I can say, these are the things God has given me and these are the ways that I sin against the Lord and I sin against other people in using what God has given me, not for his ends, but for my ends. And if you have 
the security that Christ brings, and you have the new perspective that spiritual life gives, if you have that, then you can do that for yourself. Do a self-evaluation. What am I like? How do I use my abilities and my power for my own ends? Remember I said a couple of weeks ago, because this is true, it means we sin in different ways. We each have different tendencies. And those different ways include gender differences, generally. Men tend to sin differently than women do. Because men have different power than women do. Women have different power than men do. They have different abilities, generally. And so men will tend to sin in a particular way, trying to dominate, trying to overpower, whether physically or or verbally. And women will tend to sin in other ways. And so ladies, I'm encouraging you to ask yourself, do a self-evaluation. How do I manipulate? How do I deceive? How do I cry on demand? I mean, it's like the tears can just like... There they are. Not that this ever happens in my household, but I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by three women. So men pray for me. I'm outnumbered in my, in my home. But, but seriously, I'm generalizing, but generally more emotional for physiological reasons. But all of those things can be used for our own ends. So do a self-evaluation What are my natural tendencies? And then do this. Ask yourself, what have I acquired from others? There's what I I am naturally. There's the way I'm uniquely and wonderfully made, but I have messed that up and distorted it because of sin, and I use it for my own ends. Ask yourself that, but then there is the influence of other people around me. What have I become because of the influence of other people. So I you know, have natural tendencies that I got naturally from my folks. But then I also have things that I observed in my folks, in my nurture, that I saw them do. And they handled pressure in a particular way. They handled disappointment in a particular way. They handled criticism in a particular way. They handled conversations in a particular way. And your family did the same thing, all of it. And I'm encouraging you to ask yourself, look at how that happened. And then look at how you see that happening in you. You, the person who said, I'll never become like my mom. And it's really painful for you to see that you become like your mom or I'll never be like my dad. So know yourself by looking at those natural tendencies, but also looking at the the way nurture people around you, in particular your family, has affected you. Now, one way to do that is this. Those things you look at in your folks, or looked at if they're they're passed away, but you look at in your folks and you say, "I, I I don't want to be that. I'd be willing, if I were a betting man, to lay money that that is present in your life in some way, shape, or form. So the one way to start is to look at the stuff that you know that they were or are that you don't want to be. 
And then be willing to ask yourself, how has that shown up in my life? So know yourself, but then here's the, here's the other thing I'm encouraging you to do, is ask others to help you know yourself. You say, there is no way on God's green earth I'm going to go to somebody and say, okay, have at it. Tell me what I'm like. Now, why would you be unwilling to do that? Here's why. Because you're insecure. If you're secure in Jesus, and I'm making an assumption here, the person you're going to go to is somebody you can reasonably trust to have your best interest at heart. Okay? Don't go to somebody you know hates you and say, okay, have at it. Okay, they'll make stuff up. They'll just, they'll pile on. I'm not, of course, saying that. I'm saying go to your spouse. Okay, maybe that's the person who hates you. Go to somebody else. <laughs> but go to someone, a friend, that you've been around, that's been able to observe you and say, tell me what you know about me. And listen, I need to know this. I need for you to tell me what you see in me. I need for you to help. I want you to help me with this. I'm coming to you. And I'm coming to you before there's a crisis. Before what I am so adversely affects other people around me that now we've got a crisis. I'm coming to you now so I can grow in Jesus and I'm asking you to help me do that. Now just within the last couple of months, I'm going to give you an illustration. You guys don't know the illustration, so I can give it to you. An anonymous illustration. But I've had to deal with a situation in the life of an individual where multiple people have known the deal with this person for years. And yet nobody said, look, you've got a problem. And that person certainly never came and said, tell me about my problem. So it simply went on for years, and then when it explodes, everybody goes, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Doesn't surprise me. Oh, it's really too bad, isn't it? And here's what I'm telling you, friends. We're not loving each other when we let each other move away from Jesus and Christ-likeness. And we're not serious about spiritual growth if we're not willing to see ourselves and be seen in ourselves as who we really are by those who God has put around us for that very purpose. So if you have the security in Christ, you will be willing to go to someone you can trust or someones you can trust and say, I want you to tell me about me. Tell me what I do. Tell me what I tend to do to get what I want. Now, I want to end, as I have each week, by introducing next week. Tell me what I do to get what I want. And remember I said one way to think of sin is using the power that God has given us for his ends and misappropriating it for our own. Using power to get what I want. Now that phrase, get what I want, is very important in Scripture. If you have your Bible at 2 Corinthians 5, I encourage you to turn to 1 John 5. Turn to the right, toward the end of your Bible, 1 John 5. This phrase, to get what I want, 
1 John 5, very last verse. Verse 21, last verse of the entire letter. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's how you end a letter. Keep yourselves from idols. Now, here's what's interesting to me. The five chapters of 1 John have 105 verses. And in those 105 verses, the first and only mention of idols or idolatry is in the last verse. So, John, you write a letter. You don't say anything about idols and idolatry, and you sign off by saying, keep yourselves from idols. Why do you do that? Here's why. Because even though in those five chapters, those 105 verses, John has not mentioned the word idol or idolatry, the truth is the entire book is about that. It's about what we want and what we desire. Now, do you all remember, if you look at it that way, that idolatry is wanting someone or something more than the Lord. If that's what idolatry is, and it is, then whenever you see desires and wants in the Bible, you're talking about idolatry. And John talks about that, doesn't he? 1 John chapter 2. Turn back to chapter 2. Verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... Now notice the cravings of sinful men. Cravings, intense desires of sinful men. The cravings, the lust... Of his eyes, that's not, just, that's not just sexual lust, that's just desire. The lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its, notice this, desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. John is talking there about idolatry, about what we want being for our own self-centered purposes rather than for God. And so I'm asking you to ask others as you do a self-analysis of yourself, what do I do to get what I want? To put it another way, what do I do that expresses idolatry in my life? Now I'm telling you that and we will continue it next week for this reason. Friends, I want you to see how very serious this is. We're going to be reminded from James chapter 4 next week that when I use what God has given me for what I want rather than what he wants, I have played the harlot against God. I have committed spiritual adultery against God. So this issue then of me having a, prop, a security that is unshakable in my identity in Christ this issue of me having a transformed perspective upon myself and upon others and upon Christ. That issue is deadly serious for me because, and for you, because it and it alone will allow me to look at myself clearly so that I can see how it is I manipulate, how it is I try to overpower, how it is I use in whatever form I do the abilities that God has given me to get what I want. 
this week I'm asking you to analyze yourself that way. And then ask one or more people to analyze you that way as well. And then we'll look at James chapter 4 together next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the theme of your word that is a story of how you have created man for your good ends to reflect you back to you and how sin has caused the mirrors that you create us to be to be distorted so that you see vestiges of your original design in us but never clearly. I am not a clear expression of the Lord Jesus. None of us are this side of heaven. But we thank you that as part of that story, you are remaking us and you are repairing those broken mirrors. And I thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us in the state in which our sin places us, but rather you have given us instruction and you've given us your spirit in order for us to be day by day transformed into the image of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have supplied for us the security we so desperately need because we are very insecure people. And we compare and we contrast ourselves to others. We try to build ourselves up. We refuse to see what we really are and what we have become by the influence of others. But our security in Christ helps us to do that. The new perspective that you've given us on us and upon others and upon Jesus is indispensable to that. And so, Lord, we thank you for these gifts, and they are at our disposal because of your grace. I pray that you will help us to make use of them. I pray that your spirit would cause us to want so much to be like Christ, that we want to rid ourselves of the selfishness, the self-centeredness that we come into this world with naturally and have acquired by the environment in which you've placed us from others who are likewise self-centered. I pray, Lord, that we will repent, that we'll confess, that we'll own it so that it can be changed. And I pray, Lord, that you would ask, that you would cause many here to ask themselves, am I any different? Am I any different today than I was five years ago? If the answer to that is no, I pray, Lord, that you would grant them spiritual life, that you would humble their hearts before you to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and that your spirit would take residence in them and begin changing them from the inside out. Go with us, we ask you this week, as we, as we play out these assignments. And I pray that everyone here will do that, that we will come back ready to learn how we can take next steps in being, becoming like Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.